All relationships have a backstory, even friendships. I'm Aminatu So. I am the co-host of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend and the co-author of the book Big Friendship along with Anne Friedman. Hi, I'm Anne Friedman. I am the co-everything that Aminatu just mentioned. <laughs> um, it's kind of nice to have the joint bio these days. Aminatu and Anne's friendship began with a meet-cute. We were set up. We showed up at Dio's house to watch the television show Gossip Girl. This is the era in which you had to show up um, in front of a television to watch TV. The feelings we both felt when we met were like a kind of attraction. Every joke that she made, every observation she made was just 10 out of 10. You know, like not romantic or sexual, but we both instantly wanted to be in each other's lives. Her outfit was flames. Big, bold lipstick. Her hair looked cool. The rest was history. A big friendship, complex, deep, and maybe for life. Almost instantly, these two were inseparable. Midnight showings of Beyonce movies, vacations together. They even started a podcast together. Part of why their connection got so deep was because of where they were in their lives when they met. Their 20s. That was a time in life when we had a little bit more free time, a little bit more flexibility. You know, a lot of the people in our orbit did not have the kind of professional or caregiving responsibilities that they have today. But fast forward to now, and these two lifelong friends... They haven't actually seen each other in person in a while. I flew to L.A. partly to take our author photo. And it was not a week that people should have been flying. Like, it was before everything shut down. But I'm actually really glad I took that risk and went on that trip because very momentous things happened in those, like, 48 hours. Including our last restaurant meal. My last restaurant meal was with you. I love that. Wow. <laughs> You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. On the show today, we are talking about friendship with Anne and Aminatu. Fun fact, they are out with a new book all about friendship called Big Friendship. In this book, they write about their friendship story, and they share lessons for all of us about how to keep our own friendships strong. This chat has a lot. The story of Anne and Aminatu going to friend therapy. Yes, that exists. And what it's like to have a deep friendship with someone of a different race. All right, let's get to it. Enjoy. And so this friendship grows. It blossoms. Y'all end up starting this podcast together. Y'all end up going to weddings together, giving gifts together, wearing matchy-matchy outfits to sometimes. Like, it's a beautiful thing. But there's also this moment where you both realize it needs work. There is this scene about a getaway weekend that you both went on together to try to re-spark the friendship, and it didn't go well. This is, like, early in the book. Set up that scene for our listeners, because when I read it, I was like, hmm, I know a lot of folks have felt this. Um, sometime around 2013, 2014, so I, I would say, like, right, like, midway through our friendship or a little longer, we went away to, you know, on some very sad rekindle the romance kind of trip because for, I would say, like, two years prior to that trip, we had just been really missing each other in conversation. And so at this mm. point, like, we don't live in the same city, you know, but we are working on this podcast together. The podcast is going great. Like, we are um, yeah. we are two people who really genuinely enjoy working with each other. Yeah, it sounded and like it. I listened. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I this is, this I was is, like, this is going great. Right. <laughs> But yeah. the minute that we turned the microphone off, like, um, 
the universe of things that we now start having boundaries around talking about. So whether it's like our other relationships or even our own, like, oh, do you want to go on a trip with me or not? Just that bucket just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's so many things that we start just not talking to each other about. Mm. But so at one point we recognize, okay, like things have finally gone off the rails. How do we fix this? And the only model that came to mind for me was, you know, the like, uh, go back on the honeymoon. <laughs> or figure Couples something. retreat. Right. <laughs> for me, it was also a real desire of, I just want things to feel how they felt in an earlier stage of our friendship. Like, mm-hmm. I want I want to kind of go back to how things were um, in the sense that like, oh, a time when we really just naturally understood each other or it mm-hmm. wasn't hard to be vulnerable. And, and I think that part of the logic behind going away together was all we need is more time. You know, like mm-hmm. we just we just need more time. And uh, we can definitively say that in our case, that was not true. We needed more than that. (laughs) More than that. Well, and then after all of that, the two of you end up in friend therapy. I I, I mean, I want you to tell me everything about that to the extent you can. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know you could do that. I remember like one of us just being like, well, is there some sort of adult that can hold our hand through this process? You know, and I'm like, well, uh, is there a restorative justice model for uh, friendship repair or (laughs) is there therapy? (laughs) I I mostly remember a lot of crying. Like I cried so much. I don't know. It it shifted the mirror for me on myself less on like, oh, you know, is it that I'm upset at this person or is it that I am really upset at an inability to understand each other? And when I started to see it as a communication gap issue and not some like my friend is a monster issue, because, of course, she was never a monster. Like, you know, it, it was hard, but there was there was a lot of crying for me. It was uh, it, the, the therapist like handing you the Kleenex is such a cliche, but oh. the, the Kleenex box was for me, you know. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And I had the opposite problem, which is that I am like a very, very slow processor. And so I would be fully in that moment and like maybe even feeling very sad in the moment. But like I was not like sobbing. And I think that I I felt almost like an inverse insecurity of like, how can I make you understand that this is deeply affecting me, too? And I am also feeling very sad about like the things that we are having to excavate here when I am not like tears are not running down my face and that doesn't mean I am not upset and right here with you. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about therapy is that over time you start to really kind of crystallize an explanation for why you're feeling this way or why you're doing this thing. And you come to like find the story of how you got to there. Like for Mm -hmm. me, all of my work the last year or so has been me unpacking the fact that like, I have issues with attachment and isolation and they manifest in ways X, Y, Z. Like, was there like a a topic sentence that y'all came out of friend therapy saying, ah, that explains it. Like a quick little like, that's the thing. I cannot tell you like in, I wish we had had a camera that day. The look of satisfaction on this woman's face when she did Mm. the like conspiracy theorist, like graph of, she's like, well, Here's the cycle that you're caught in. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's so rewarding. You're like, ah, that's it. Oh, it was so deeply unsettling for me. I was like, I cannot believe this lady has my number. This is wild. <laughs> and also it was the piece yeah. of the puzzle that I had been missing where she essentially just told us that we were caught in this feedback loop of one of us would miscommunicate to the other 
reach out, be hurt, and then pull back completely. And then the other person then starts pulling in, you know, like it was just, I don't even know how to characterize it. And maybe you can do a better job than me. Well, the way that the, the direct quote, the direct unforgettable quote from the therapist was, and that's why it's called a cycle. (laughs) They can read you. They can read you better than anybody else. Oh my God. I'm sweating just recounting it. Like truly. (laughs) And man, like therapy is not for the faint of heart. Like we would go home every day like just you know like we would usually drive there together which was hilarious and make sure that we had like snacks and water like going to <laughs> going to war together where we were fighting on opposite oh <laughs> like my opposite teams and then yes. go home together but it was very I don't know I just I the whole thing was very strange and transformative but I think also just for me at least it really forced me to confront a lot of patterns that I have that I think are just accidental you know, and and also just really acknowledging that in order for a friendship to work, it takes two people and in order for it to, to fall apart, um, that is also true. And it also takes two people to repair it. Time for a break. Coming up, how to navigate interracial friendships and how they can never be colorblind, even if you really want them to. That is one of the heartbreaking things about like this deeply, deeply racist world that we live in is like we don't get to have that. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Sometimes food is more than just food. It's an integral part of the community. So this year, Discover is giving $5 million to support Black-owned restaurants. To places like Rodney Scott's Barbecue in Charleston, Post Office Pies in Birmingham, Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, and hundreds more places in your local community all across the country. Learn how you can show your support at discover.com. A Minneapolis business owner's daughter is called out publicly for racist, anti-Black tweets. Fighting to save his business and trying to make amends, he calls on a prominent Black Muslim leader for help. He's an Arab Muslim. And I said, Brother Makram, I'm here to learn. Tell me what to do. To hear what happens next, listen to Code Switch from NPR. You know, there are going to be so many people that hear this conversation, that read the book, uh, who just can't afford to take their best friend or their big friends to therapy. For those hearing this, wanting to fix a relationship, a friendship, and knowing that they're in a friendship with someone to be willing to work on it as well, but they can't afford therapy, what do you do instead? And that's such a good question, Sam, and such a good like acknowledgement of like privilege and resources. You know, I think that even for us, it was tough. Like I basically moved to LA to, to do therapy with my friend, yeah. which, you know, it's yeah. um, if if we had not gotten the book advance that we got, I would not have been able to afford it at all. That's um, <laughs> that is where uh, a portion of <laughs> that is where a portion of my book advance went to therapy. I really recommend it. But there's just not enough time or space to do that. I think that the thing yeah. about the takeaway from therapy really is that you have to find a way to talk about the things that are hard you know, and, and to really acknowledge to each other that things are hard. And, and this Mm -hmm. is what, you know, like part of why we wrote this book too, is that we, we recognize that there is no social support for friendship, you know, like, it's like, Mm -hmm. even if you think about other relationships, your, um, your church, your family, your government, like everyone is invested in like, 
people having like healthy families somehow but that yeah. imagine but that imagination of family does not extend to um friends i don't believe that it should cost like the thousands and thousands of dollars that we have spent you know on this project we we were lucky that we were able to but that is not a scalable or a sustainable solution at all yeah yeah so all of this ends up in the book the story of repairing the friendship the story of y'all's growth together but I also love that, like, a good portion of the book is also, like, the actual research on friendship. You spoke with so many smart people who, like, study this stuff for a living to talk about the data and the science on friendship itself. What of those findings, the social science on friendship, most surprised you two putting this book together? Oh, man. If there is a baby sociologist listening to this, please, there is like an entire area of study that is yours for the taking. Um, (laughs) It was really, I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised just knowing how we don't take friendship seriously in society, but I was genuinely surprised at how little like robust scholarship there is about friendship. Yeah. And when it comes to adults, they're often counted like, you know, okay, how many friendships does the average adult have or what periods of Uh life are we, you know, are adults likely to have friends or how many friends of other races are adults likely to have or, you know, questions like that. Mm -hmm. But when we really started looking for support for the dynamics within friendship, so how do large social groups affect the two people in a friendship who are kind of nestled within this bigger context? How do friend groups resolve conflict? How do people navigate interracial friendship in a way that is like, not just how many, but like, how are you doing friendship with people of other races? Like, those are the kinds of questions I think we found the least answer to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of just kind of like, duck, duck, goose head counting, you know what I mean? Um, And often in like an elementary school cafeteria, you know, or like a college campus. (sighs) Um, There is also an entire chapter on navigating an interracial friendship, and I really enjoyed it. And y'all quote a poem that says, quote, the first thing you do is forget that I'm black. Second, you must never forget that I'm black. And this was advice on a white person trying to be a black person's friend. Wow, 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 wow. Unpack that for me because it's a word. Whew. Pat Parker. Yes. Ugh. That that was I mean that hit me. That hit me real hard. <laughs> Listen, it hit it hit me and I <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm the black friend in this friendship. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's there's never been a point in my um friendship with Anne that I was unclear about her political motivations or, or, you know, like what goals she wants. Mm-hmm. It is, And it is why we were drawn to each other. And even mm. in a friendship in which we are, we talk about politics in every way, shape and form that it comes in. We had not been talking about how race was playing out inside of our own friendship. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, cause I feel like a lot of people entering you know, interracial friendships or interracial romantic relationships will say to themselves, either out loud or not, they'll say to themselves, well, this space, this relationship, it's colorblind. It's not affected by race. Are people we saying are choosing that? to not do that. No, but like they're thinking that, right? You know, like I've had friends before where I convince myself that in the confines of our friendship, race isn't an issue. But the thing is, it is. <laughs> and like, yeah. you're better off just acknowledging that when, that, if that's, when that's the case. Mm. 
I mean, I think that's something I certainly wanted to be true. Like, mm. I'm, I don't know what I would have said if you polled me at various points in our friendship and asked me that. But I think that I, on some deep level that I maybe, you know, never even brought up to the surface as words, I wanted it to be true that my friend Aminatu can be 100% fully mm. self-expressed with me. Mm. And in some ways, I'm like, why wouldn't I want that, right? Like, that's a beautiful thing to yeah, want. And, yeah. and also, it's it's like, uh, th- that is one of the heartbreaking things about, like, this deeply, deeply racist world that we live in is, like, we don't get to have that. Yeah. There's this really vivid example in the book, or story in the book, that brings all of the issues of race and the friendship to the forefront. It involves a birthday party uh, that didn't have too many black people. How much of that story can you tell us? I mean, I will say that, that, you know, the story on its face is not dramatic at all. In fact, it's like very petty and small. And it's why we (laughs) it's why we chose it as an example, though, because I think that there is this tendency when it comes to race right now, you know, for all the people who are having their, you know, their first racial awakening, this idea that, you know, welcome, welcome. Some of us have been here before. No seats left on this Amtrak. You're standing. And some of us are just black. So we don't have a choice about being here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but there's just this, 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 and especially I think that it was important to tell because you know we're two like East West Coast elites. So I, mm-hmm. I, I think that it it really bears repeating that even people who think that you know they're liberal and live in these big cities or whatever, um, you know, they they think that like racism happens somewhere in Texas. Like it's not, it's not happening <laughs> in, it's not happening in a Silver Lake backyard. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's just this idea that for something to be racist, it has to be big and dramatic. You know, you're like, okay, someone has to use the N word. Someone, you know, like, mm-hmm. or it has to be this like after school special. There is just, <laughs> there's this like deep pain that comes with it. And honestly, like, that's kind of racist too. It's like, hi, <laughs> this is not a, these yeah. are not, yeah. these are the expectations <laughs> yeah. that you have of how black people experience racism are, are, are garbage. <laughs> but race is playing out in these very, very small moments. I am at a party at Anne's house and there are, a lot of people there and none of those people are black. There was a time in our mm. friendship where if that had happened, I wouldn't have noticed or cared because, you know, maybe the day before I had been at Anne's house and there, you know, like there was a brunch and there were a lot of black people there. But in this mm-hmm. instance, we had been living far apart. I we are not connecting on an emotional level and I parachute in into this party and, you know, it, it's just like, wow, you live in L.A.? There's, yeah. there, you know, there, what? There are no black people here? This is, this is wild. <laughs> yeah. You know, and especially yeah. like for someone that I knew that well. And, you know, and the way that it played out is truly the way that every kind of, a, you know, low level racial oops plays out is that, you know, you, you say like, mm, why are there no black people here? And then the white person gets defensive and then they give you all of these excuses that are everything except for, oh, we live in a racist society. And of course, I hosted an event at my house that did not take that into account, you know, and um, I'm like, this is not the, the racial wound of our relationship, but it is something that's very recognizable in a lot of um, interracial relationships. I want to say where I think it becomes a wound is when, like, thinking about the birthday party story in particular, wherein, like, I was not the person to say, oh, wow, so when you were at my house the other night, like, like, I noticed that there were no black people and, like, really sorry about that experience for you. And if, you know, do you want to talk about it some more? Like, the initiation factor there of, like, who is paying attention to this and who is 
And who gets to stick their head in the sand and say, well, if my friend doesn't bring it up, it must not be an issue. Mm. And those are the kinds of things that I really feel, you know, like talking about an, an earlier era of our friendship when I wanted to believe that like race somehow didn't touch us. That's exactly the kind of thing that that I was ignoring. And I, and I really, and, and probably in, to this day, and I mean, I, I would say continue to ignore, you know, like there will always be things that I like, I don't clock. And I think that that example is so relevant because it really, um, you know, as Aminatu keeps saying, it does kind of seem small, but it points at like who gets to not notice this sort of thing mm. in friendship. Also like who pays the price for the pain, you know, like mm-hmm. there. Part of why, you know, like, I will only speak for myself, like someone who has some intimate relationships with white people. Part of why you also don't um, make a big deal out of it is because you know that opening up the can of worms of the birthday party, you know, it's it's three sentences till you get to uh, 1619. You're like, here's where we go. Here's, here's what this is about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, great, we're... We're just at this party and here's everything that you don't know. And I think that, you know, th- this thing that white people get to have when they're when they know black people of they just they get this like depth of knowledge and understanding the, these this like racial aha moment, <laughs> as we call it. Mm, and all yeah. that and all that you are left with if you are the black partner is, um, you know, if you're lucky, just a little bit annoyed. But mostly like you are really you are really pained. Because it reminds you of all of the other instances that you have to do that. And, you know, I'm like, I live in a world that is, uh, you know, like governed by whiteness. So there's never any like white thing that Anna's going to teach me. Like that thing already just exists. (laughs) With the exception of some Midwestern snacks. It's true. true. The cheese ball. Shout out (laughs) to the cheese ball and the people of the cheese ball. I know. But, you know. Cream cheese based dips. That's the only thing I have to teach. (laughs) Thank you, Anne. I appreciate you for correcting the record. (laughs) All right, time for one more break. When we come back, Anne and Aminatu discuss whether this kind of big friendship is actually possible for men. BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor Verbo. Summer is here and vacation is just a drive away. Search thousands of nearby vacation rentals on Verbo to find your family a private home all to yourselves, where you can spread out, chill out, and feel that vacation feeling again together. Book the home that makes the vacation. Download the Verbo app. That's V-R-B-O. Every business has to figure out what to charge for its product and how to keep out competitors. You know who does this better than anyone else? Drug dealers. On the next episode of Planet Money Summer School, we explain pricing theory with a drug kingpin. Summer School. New classes every Wednesday. Listen now to Planet Money from NPR. I will say, reading this book... I kept saying, mm, that's good. I like that. They're working through it. Love it, love it, love it. But then I had this moment, had this moment halfway through where I just stopped and I put the book down and I said to myself out loud, I think the dog got scared. I was like, is this for men? Can it ever be for men? Yes. Or is it just for women? I've never seen a male, male friendship, straight, gay, whatever, that has reached the depth that y'all describe in the book. I never have. Oh. Ugh, Sam, you're about and to that make breaks me my cry. Heart. And that breaks it my breaks heart. my heart. Sam, you're about to make me cry. <laughs> and I want it to be for men. I want it to be for all of us. But I think that our society has told us, has told me for sure, that like guys don't do that. But listen, if if men did that, 
it would be so good for all of us, including me and Anne. You know? Mm. Like, this yeah. is the... Like, hearing you... We, we both have big friends who are men, and it's been really interesting to get their feedback on this because, you know, obviously really? we write the story um, about both of us and we, uh, we, are, we are two women. And we do that because uh, you got to get specific in order to tell a good story. But the things that we are describing, like I refuse to believe that they are the province alone of women's friendships. I do think that, mm. you know, our society has allowed for women to express themselves um, more fully about this topic than we are allowing men to do. But yeah. just anecdotally hearing from from the men in my life, I, I just refuse to believe that we are going to go through this lifetime and that we are not going to create space for men to be able to have this kind of conversation about their own friendships. Because I it, it has been transformative for me and I cannot even begin to imagine what our world would look like if we allowed every single human being to be able to, to be expressed about what their friends mean to them. And, and your question, too, of like, can, can this be for men or can have this? I mean, it's such an easy yes to me. And the, the question of like, why does that question come up at all, right? Like, yeah. why, why do we wonder if this is a kind of friendship for women only is something that is like, you know, like probably some generational speed unpacking oh, of yeah. the ways, you know, gender socialization happens. But, but, you know, that said, the answer to your question of like, is it possible for men to have friendships like this? I mean, the answer is unequivocally yes, because we have these friendships with men. And also like, I, again, just want to go back to like communication and intention. I think that like, if, if men want it, men can have it. There you go. <laughs> yes. And I love this as your I love this as your feminist slogan. If men want it, men can have it. You know, as the words left my mouth, I was like, this is gonna get taken out of context. Like this is a nightmare. You know, this is like this the is tease promo clip for the episode. Oh, and saying, I mean, if men want it, men can have it. I'm making you a t shirt oh that says God. that. I can't wait. Oh my I'm goodness. fully ducking into my turtleneck right now. Like you can't even see. No. Uh, no. We got you. Um, gosh, <laughs> I appreciate you both for just doing the work and sharing it with us. I really admire your candor. Thank you. We could truly do this all day. Like, I think we could just sit here and talk to you about this all day. I love it. Come on back anytime. Thank Come you so back. much, Sam. Thanks again to Aminatou So and Ann Friedman. Their book, Big Friendship, is out right now. You can also catch their podcast. It's called Call Your Girlfriend. Get it wherever you get your podcast. This episode was produced and edited by Anjali Sastry and Jordana Hochman. All right, that's a wrap for today. I am Sam Sanders. We're back on your feeds Friday. Till then, be good to yourself and to your friends. We'll talk soon. <laughs>